Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. We are in the middle of a series, which is going all year, looking at the core values of our church, the core values of the Granary Church. And at the moment, we're looking at a core value called Embrace the Word. Embrace the Word, the Word of God. And I want to um, recommend a couple of books to you. The first one is called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And in terms of on a personal level, um, you know, in terms of understanding Scripture and how it all fits together, that's a fantastic book and I would really recommend it to you. I'll leave it here if, if anyone wants to have a look at it afterwards. You're welcome to. But the Bible has not only changed individuals and continues to change the lives of individuals, the Bible has actually changed nations. And this book here, The Bible in Australia, A Cultural History, um, has won a whole lot of awards, including the Prime Minister's uh, Literary Awards winner, The Bible in Australia, about how from the time of the First Fleet, um, the Bible has impacted our culture and our lives as Australians. You've sort of got to like history a little bit to like that one. Um, but if you're if you like history and you're interested in what impact Christianity and in particular the Bible has had in this nation, then I would recommend that one. But not only that, the Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God, has made an impact on our world, especially the Western world, but really on the whole world. And this book is called The Book That Made Your World, uh, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. And that's an incredible book that just shows how the Bible has shaped the laws and the governance and the ethics and the culture of the Western world. Incredible book. And I tell you, you're probably not going to hear these kind of ideas in the media. You're not going to hear it, you know, in public discourse generally, but a book like this just opens our eyes to see, wow, look at the big picture. Look at what Christianity and, and the Word of God has, has done in our Western civilization. And uh, it's quite, quite life-changing. But today we're, we're talking about embracing the Word of God. And I want to start uh, with a little game called... Pick the Paul. Now, you know, if you don't know me, I'm Paul. And that is my kids' church class singing a song for my little Methodist church in the north of England. I was born there and lived there till I was 10. Went to a Methodist church Sunday school because my auntie, uh, faithfully, she was a Christian lady. My family weren't generally Christian, but my auntie who was picked me up every week and took me to, to kids' church. Um, I think it gave my mum and dad some mummy and daddy time together because I was the only kid at home and uh, they probably appreciated that. But I would go to kids' church. Now, who can pick the Paul? Where do you reckon? Who reckons the top row? Somewhere in top row? Middle row? Yeah, middle row. Third from the right. Okay. So there's me. And you know, hey, what about the clothes? 
what's wrong with you people? You send your kids to kids' church in, in T-shirts and shorts, you know? Hey, you need to be wearing like suits and ties when you're six years old, don't you? Hey, <laughs> wasn't life different back then for those of us that are a little bit older? Um, but yeah, that, that's me in my Sunday school class. And you know what? Really, once my family came to Australia and we weren't involved at all in any church or anything spiritual from that time on, I personally lost touch with anything to do with faith, with anything to do with Christianity and lived out my sort of late childhood years and most half of my teenage years um, without any reference at all to my Christian faith. And yet... In those Sunday school classes and in those Sunday school years, the stories of the Old Testament heroes and the stories of Jesus that were presented to us, I'm sure went into my mind and into my heart and into my spirit. And they might have lain a little bit subconscious there. They might have been a bit dormant until somebody actually reached me with the good news about Jesus, but they were in there. And you know, Today, our kids are in kids' church there, and I tell you what, it's so much more sophisticated than what we had back then, and it, we've got so many more opportunities to raise our kids in the faith and our grandkids. For me, you know, it's more grandkids at the moment that we're sowing into their lives. And to do, uh, you know, I didn't plan this uh, knowing that that Sue was going, Pastor Sue was going to interview kids' church leaders today. But it's obviously something that God wants to put on our hearts today. And you know what? If you don't have the opportunity to sow into your children or your grandchildren, maybe they've walked away from their faith. Uh, maybe, maybe your grandchildren live away and you don't get to see them. Well, let's pray. Pray for them. And let's, um, you know, let's really see this next generation of children and young people growing up strong in their faith. And, you know, the gospel is powerful. And we're going to talk about that today as we talk about embracing the word. And I want us to have a look at, look at a few pairs of things today uh, in the word, especially in the New Testament. Things like like Paul and Timothy. Now, again, in the light of what we've heard about children's church today, Paul the Apostle took young Timothy and mentored him in the Christian faith. His parents and his grandparents had imparted the word of God to him as a little child, but when he was older, Paul the Apostle took him and, and sort of apprenticed him in preaching and in, in Christian leadership. And so, again, we just see, um, you know, the impact of generational faith and the impact of passing on the word to our children and grandchildren. I want you to imagine this for a minute. Jesus is sitting on a big construction girder at the top of a skyscraper which is being built and alongside of him is the Hulk and Superman and all the DC Comics heroes and uh, all the superheroes there. They're all sitting with him, Batman and Spider-Man, and they've been boasting about the things they've done, how they beat the bad guys and, you know, Batman saying how he beat Pengu the bad guy Penguin and this sort of thing. And um, But Jesus then starts to talk and he finishes it off by saying, and that's how I saved the world. That's how I saved the world. Because the way Jesus saved the world is very different to, to the way these other guys did. Because let me tell you this, Lois Lane needed saving 
just as much as Lex Luthor. Now, that's a deep theological concept, folks. That is a very deep theological concept because Lois Lane's the sugar and spice, you know, girlfriend of Superman and Lex Luthor's a bad guy. But you know what Jesus came to do? Save the whole world, not just from these, these really bad guys but from ourselves because each one of us as human beings is flawed. We're fallen. We're broken. Each one of us needs saving because within us is a fallen nature that was created originally in the image in the image of God but fell and and we need saving as well we need saving from the sin that so easily gets a hold of us and that is a part of each and every person so let's have a look at that idea that the embracing the word of God is all about about embracing this idea of saving the world that the whole world needs saving and not only that God sent a saviour, Jesus, to do that job. So let's start with the very first few words of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now when I was in, in Bible college a long time ago now, I did a course on Hebrew language. And the Hebrew language, it's really different to English, you know. And uh, my Greek course that I did, I can still sort of understand a lot of that today. But the Hebrew that I learned in Bible college, about a week after I'd finished that course, I'd forgotten nearly all of it. But since then, um, you know, language is learned best in a way when you're surrounded by that language, when you're living within a language environment. And so my wife and I have been several times to Israel where we've been surrounded by this uh, environment uh, of the Hebrew spoken word and written word. And I can tell you that one thing that I learned very quickly was that the letters I am, im, on the end of a word is the plural. So we, we add S to the end of our words. One word, two words, plural. Um, one garage, two garages, plural. Well, in Hebrew, you add the letters I am. And I learned this at first when we were there in summer and, the, and there was a lot of flies around because we worked on a communal farm called a kibbutz. One kibbutz, two kibbutzim, im, plural. And there were a lot of flies around and I would hear this, svuvim, svuvim, and svuvim is flies. One svuv, two svuvim. But in the beginning, Elohim created the hashomayim. In the beginning, God, hang on, God, im, that's plural. In the beginning, God, plural, created the heavens, plural. What the heck is that about? Well, look, right from the very first four words of the scripture, we're learning about the nature of God and we're learning that this God is actually a plurality of persons in one entity. He is the three in one. He is the trinity because he is uh, Elohim. He's the plural God. Uh, who created the heavens, plural. And a, a couple of chapters later, we read about the fall of man, about how mankind uh, disobeyed God and obeyed the devil, the serpent. When that happened and God came down to earth to talk to us about it, us humans, he said this to the devil, to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. See, straight away, right at the beginning of the scripture, right at the beginning of the Bible, we have this idea that there is good and evil, but there is prophetically going to come a saviour for this world who will crush the head of the enemy, crush the head of the serpent, Satan, destroy death, but it will be there will be a cost to him as well because the serpent will uh, will strike his heel, and so we get this this beginning right at the beginning of Genesis this prophetic word that a savior was going to come and that mankind needs all need salvation that we all need salvation. And the rest of the scripture then unfolds this story of God's plan to save mankind. And it's called the gospel, the good news. The, the scripture's the story of God's plan to save mankind, to bring salvation through a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Romans 1.16, we read this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The, the good news about Jesus not only brings salvation to individuals, but changes nations and changes cultures and changes whole civilizations like Western civilization. And so there is this amazing power within the word of God, within the good news about Jesus to change life, to change cultures, to change so much and to bring the kingdom of God into this world. Now, what I'm telling you is this. It started in Genesis and right at the book of Revelation, right at the end of, of the Bible, it's still this, the theme is still the same because here we have the King of Kings in the last chapter of, Gen of Revelation coming back to earth to, to bring a final consummation to this story of saving the world. But every book of the Bible, as we embrace God's word, we have to realise that every book of the Bible points to this saviour. It points to Jesus. And I'm going to share with you in a second a little bit of a sermon that was preached in the 20th century. Some of you probably weren't even born then. But by a guy called Oral Roberts. And Oral Roberts preached a sermon called The Fourth Man. And in it, he went through every book of the, the Bible and he showed how Jesus was embedded either symbolically or prophetically or just very straight out clearly in the books of the whole scripture, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to do the whole lot for you. You can look it up, Oral Roberts, The Fourth Man. It's on YouTube. You can look it up and see this for yourself. But let's um, go through some of these. So in Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. Wow, wouldn't I like to have time to explore that one. That is such an amazing symbolism and matching of the Passover lamb with Jesus, the lamb of God. In Levitic Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of our human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Psalms, he is the Lord our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, the righteous branch. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. 
In Hosea, he's the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Zephaniah, he's the saviour. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. What about the New Testament? You know, the gospel, we think the word gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the gospel began in Genesis, it ends in Revelation. But in Matthew, Jesus is the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. And in John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he's our justifier. We'll miss a few. In Philippians, he is the God who supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, he's the Godhead bodily. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he is our mediator between God and man. And in Revelation, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's right. Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Saviour and it's all about salvation. And we're not talking today just about coming to have a relationship with God in salvation. We're talking about the full picture of salvation. Jesus came to save. He came to forgive us of our sins and to establish a relationship between us and God. But he came to heal. He came to set free. He came to deliver. And that ongoing work of salvation, as we embrace God's word, those things just continue to happen in our lives. The healing, the restoration of our wounded emotions, the changing of the way we think, the renewing of our minds. Now, one of the great minds of the 20th century was a man called C.S. Lewis, an incredible Christian thinker. And this is what is said about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis left his childhood Christian faith to spend years as a determined atheist. After finally admitting God existed, Lewis gave in and knelt in prayer to become what he described later as the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. So he he was an atheist. He'd had an upbringing when he was younger in some sort of Christian setting, but he walked away from it. And that's where C.S. Lewis and I, that's what we have in common, I'm proud to say, and probably just about the only thing because his intellect was, you know, his intellect was up here and I, I'm not quite up to that. But, um, but C.S. Lewis was, was sort of dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God by the gospel. When I came to faith, it was quite the other way. The gospel came to me. God came and grabbed me. He looked for me. And, and it was like all of a sudden the lights went on and, and, uh, and you know, I was born again in an amazing and quick way. I, it wasn't through years of studying to, to prove anything. It was just that I looked at my life one day and I looked at the life of, other, of Christians and, and I, I saw how different they were and my mates and I weren't really like that. And I thought, I don't want this anymore. I want that. And when the gospel was preached, I had an amazing, it was the power of God to salvation and something changed in me, incredible. And that was because the Holy Spirit took that gospel, took the word of God and brought it to life. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute, about the word and the spirit, because if we embrace the word of God, we embrace the spirit of God. They have to go together. You see, in the history of the church, there have been long periods when the church focused so much on doctrine, so much on right teaching and getting it right and understanding the scriptures right, that the church went through periods of dry intellectualism. 
dry intellectualism. Where their faith was completely intellectual, it was to do with the mind, it was to do with getting these doctrines right, but there was very little spiritual power in the church of those days. But then there have been other periods in the history of the church and look, don't get me wrong, the, the Reformation has changed, you know, the history of Christian faith, but there was a dry intellectualism that came after that, that that needed bringing to life. It needed the Holy Spirit to bring that word to life and to bring life to the word. And so, you know, in the 1900s, we had uh, the 1900s began with the Pentecostal revival and that has swept the world and changed the world because the Holy Spirit now is seen as active in the church and the, the word of God and the, and the Holy Spirit are both um, have, have a central place in, in the life of the church, pointing us to Jesus. The spirit points us to Jesus. The word of God points us to Jesus, the saviour. And uh, in 2 Timothy, this is what uh, Paul said to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit was the gift that when Paul laid his hands on young Timothy came into Timothy's life and brought to life the word that he had been taught by his grandmother, Lois, I think it was, and his mother. And then the Holy Spirit came and bang, that man became a dynamo, a dynamic Christian influence in the early church. So the, the word of God, there are two words for word in Scripture. One is the word logos. The other is the word rima. Now, the logos word is the written, printed, uh, communicated word of God. It's the word of God which renews our minds. It's the word of God which, you know, when the Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you embrace scripture, when you read scripture, when you get your kids doing their devotionals and so on, the mind is renewed and we start get, our thinking starts to change and we get these new ideas. And some of those ideas group together and become what we call paradigms and a paradigm is a way of interpreting truth in the world around us and we begin to look at the media and we begin to look at what politicians are telling us and sometimes we go hang on that doesn't fit with what I know to be the truth of God's word that doesn't fit in in the paradigm of of God's word when you really have really taken on scripture and your mind's being renewed and these paradigms begin to fit together, they form what we call a worldview. And a worldview is where you're able to look at what's going in the world. None of us are ever, ever perfect in this, but our mind becomes renewed to the point where we can look at what the world is telling us, we can look at things that are presented to us and go, that's not right. That is not the way God views the world. It's not consistent with his word and his character, and that's not right. And that's important. That logos, renewing of our mind by the written word of God is important. But equally important is the rema word of God. The rema word is where the Holy Spirit 
takes something from God, usually it's scripture, but it can be other things like prophecy, can come through in a prophetic kind of way in our life through someone speaking prophecy into our lives. So the Rema word is where the Holy Spirit takes that word and just applies it to us and we know God's actually speaking to us. It's his living word. It's it's his, his breath that is breathing over us and bringing to life the written word that we have um, taken into our mind. And God speaks specific things into our lives. He can speak his Rima word into our lives. And so um, we need that. We need both of those things. We need the Logos word to renew our minds and we need the Rima word to bring life and power. We need to be a people of power as well as a people of holiness to change this world and to reach out into our community. Now, let me say this. I've been a Christian long enough to see that churches that embrace and focus on doctrine are often incredibly good at teaching the scripture and so on. But if they don't also let the Holy Spirit bring that to life, there comes this dry sort of focus on correct doctrine that becomes judgmental. Churches can become judgmental because of that. That's wrong doctrine. you got wrong belief. And it can divide us, you know. Doctrine's important. Of course it is. But when you go down to fine points of doctrine and you let it divide you from others, that's not God. That's not God. If all you've got, if you base your personal life just on the word of God and nothing else, you will dry up and possibly become, you know, judgmental and critical of others and so on. On the other hand, I've lived long enough to see individuals and churches that so focus on the Holy Spirit and and it somehow gets cut off from the Word of God that they blow up. Have you ever seen a church blow up? because of something spiritual that's gone on, which is in the end highly unspiritual because God doesn't condone, you know, division and disunity between between Christians generally. But if you focus just on the Spirit of God, that's all, you will blow up. And I put it, I put it this way, I've said it many times, and this is what we as a church want to do. If all you've got is the Word of God, you'll dry up. If all you've got is the Spirit of God, you'll blow up. If you've got both, you will grow up. You will grow up. You will become what God wants us to be, a people who who can apply his mind and his view of the world to the things around us, but a people who are filled with his spirit and can do that with power so that the good news about Jesus is actually good news. It's good news. You know, if all you've got is this doctrinal thing about you're a sinner and you're going to hell and that's the message you present to the world, well, that's not that's not that great a news, you know, is it, to them? Hey, got some good news. You're going to hell. That's not such good news. But when you've got the whole gospel and the spirit of God and, and you're able to pray with people and release the power of God prophetically and in healing into their life, when, the, when you can share the gospel in a loving way, in a spirit of love and wanting to see people saved, then, you know, then we'll see transformation in our society. So, church, this is what I'm, this is what I'm saying, and I've gone over time, so I'm going to stop right now with this. 
Let's be people of the Spirit and people of the Word. Let's open our Scriptures. Let's get into it. Let's teach it to our kids. Let's allow the Holy Spirit, uh, let's allow the Word of God to renew our mind, but let's be people of the Spirit as well. And if you're running dry on the Holy Spirit, you might want to come out and get some prayer this morning because the Bible says be being filled with the Holy Spirit. But also if you're having trouble or you've, you've sort of let yourself go with your personal devotions and reading the Scripture, maybe come and get some prayer as well. But for all of us, I want to encourage us, church, let's be a people of purity and truth but also of power in the Holy Spirit. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just demand obedience of us but you bring a relationship and a, an experience of the Holy Spirit to us so that um, we can be a, a people who are alive, truly alive. And, Father God, we ask you, come, Holy Spirit, show us the truth of, of your word Show us the life-giving rima of God and help us to be um, committed to exercise our will to allow your word to change us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you and what is it that he said to you? If you're in the room with someone else, turn and share with them what stood out to you. And I say to them, how can I pray for you? Share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week. Or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.